Well, good morning. We're going to continue in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to turn to chapter 1 and read verses 10 through 17. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized a household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of, blur, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, uh, Luke covered just last week, he talked about um, how despite all their faults and problems, Paul still found something good to say about the Corinthian church. Paul gave thanks for the Corinthians. He praised the Lord for the many things that the Lord had blessed them with. Despite all they had going on, we know there were many problems in the church. He still had some good things to speak of in them. But now in this passage, we're beginning Paul, Paul's correction and rebuke of the Corinthians. And the first problem he addresses is division within the Corinthian church. Now it's something, Paul, he's actually very gentle in his rebuke of the Corinthians. It can be tempting if we're rebuking someone to come across as harsh. I have to say, sometimes when I see someone going down the wrong way, you know, I want to take them by their shoulders and just shake them and say, what are you doing? But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, he is pleading with the Corinthians. Paul pleads by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul, he's not pleading on his own authority. He's not saying, uh, please listen to me. He's actually pleading because uh, on the basis of what the Lord Jesus has done and who the Lord Jesus is. So if I'm, a, if I'm a Corinthian believer and I am listening to this letter, if I consider Jesus my Lord and if I hold dear what Jesus has done for me, then I should be listening to this plea. Now Paul is pleading four things at the start of this passage. He's asking that the Corinthians all speak the same thing He's asking that there be no divisions among them, that they be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and that they be joined together in the same judgment. 
Now, there's some overlap in those um, things I just mentioned, but the fact is they are actually four distinct things, otherwise Paul would not bother to list them out. So first, Paul wants the Corinthian believers to be speaking the same thing. Now, Paul is not asking that um, all the people in the Corinthian church be um, literally saying the same words 24-7. He's just not asking them to be basically identical robots just speaking the same words. But there are plenty of things as believers that we should be speaking the same. In regards to doctrine, the same thing should be coming out of our mouths. In regards to the gospel, the same gospel should be coming out of all our mouths. I'd like to ask you to stretch your imagination for a moment. Consider like the Corinthian church. Think of it as a person, a single person. Now the church, as we'll see later in 1 Corinthians and other parts of the Bible, the church is made up of all the believers in the Lord Jesus. It's really called the body of Christ. Any group of believers, any one church, should really be functioning as one body. And as if uh, the church is functioning as one body, then really one message should be coming out of its mouth. It really makes no sense for multiple contradictory messages to be coming out of one mouth. Now, if we saw a real-life person, if we saw someone who was saying one thing, and then maybe a minute later they give another totally contradictory statement, and another minute they say yet another thing, you would be thinking, this person is not well in their mind. We might think they're maybe a little mentally off, maybe they have some split personality. So, a healthy, stable person should be speaking with one voice. And so Paul exhorts the body of Corinthian believers to be speaking the same thing. Because we'll see later in the book that the Corinthians, they were actually saying many different things among themselves in regards to doctrine, regards to marriage, regards to sin. There was a lot of confusion there in what they were saying. Next, Paul pleads that there not be divisions in the church. Now, we see today that the worldwide church is divided in many ways. You know, there are so many different denominations out there. Nowadays, people may not say they're a Christian. They might say they're a Pentecostal. They might say they're a Baptist. They might say they're a Lutheran. This was not God's plan for his church, for there to be all these divisions. This was not what God wanted of his, of his church. Going back to the body of Christ illustration, if we saw a body with divisions, it's like I would be seeing a person where their body parts each had a different agenda. It'd be like me seeing someone, someone's right leg trying to take them one direction, but their left leg trying to take them in another direction. Now, if I saw a person like that in real life, I'd be thinking, 
as a physical therapist, they have some kind of neurological disorder. So as for us as a church, as a local church, there should not be any, any divisions among us. We should be all doing things in a, not with our own agendas, but we should be united in what we're doing. Next, Paul wants them to be joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. So what does it mean to be of the same mind? Now, in this room we have people with many different minds. Some of us think differently. Some of us have our own different preferences, different tastes, different convictions. You know, some of us have, might have a different preference for music. Some of us might have a personal conviction about how to run our household. But in the things of God, we should be of the same mind. There should be a unity among us as believers in how we interact with one another and how we treat one another. I think I know, we all know what it looks like when, some, when someone has multiple conflicting thoughts in their mind. It's like a person who really cannot make up their mind. They have so many thoughts running through their head. But even uh, though we're a diverse group of people, as a church, we should be doing things in a coordinated way. So that if each of us correspond, if each of us correspond to one part of the body, we should be doing things in a way that's very orderly. So let's say um, I might correspond to being a finger of the body of Christ, and another believer might be a thumb. Well, it should seem like that um, even though we're two different people, we should be doing things in such a way that it seems like the same mind is controlling what we're doing. In regards to being in the same judgment, we should all be judging things according to the word of God. We should all be in agreement in regards to judging serious things like sin. Now, a problem we'll see later with the Corinthian church is that they really had some biblically impaired judgment there were some things that were going on that should have been obviously sin, like sexual immorality in their midst, but they were not judging it correctly. Now Paul has described in the first couple of verses the ideal of how the Corinthians should be behaving. Now it comes to the, um, the sad reality in verse 11. So he's heard some bad news. Paul doesn't just base his judgment on the Corinthians, on one person telling him things are not going well. He's heard from multiple people uh, from this household, from Chloe's household, regarding the fact that there was not unity in the church, there were contentions. People were fighting with one another. People were arguing with one another. People were quarreling. Things were not going well. 
And what, what were they fighting about? So we see in verse 12 the cause of all, all, all these um, disputes. So, some of the, now, that, now I say this, that each of you says, I am a Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. There were some rivalries going on in the church. Some people were making themselves out to be superior to others in the church based on their association with a certain person. Now, just to be clear, all the groups I mentioned in verse 12, these people were saying, I am a Paul or I'm a Paulus. What's going on here? These may have been some of the thoughts that were running through people's head. So some of these people said, I am a Paul. Well, Paul, of course... He was a person who was most responsible for founding the Corinthian church. He was really, as he later puts it, their spiritual father. So um, perhaps some Corinthian believers were saying, you know, I'm a personal follower of the founder of our church. Can you top that? But then some people um, may have thought this of Apollos. Now, Apollos was a person that's described in the book of Acts as someone who was eloquent and mighty in the scriptures. So to say the least, he was probably a very good Bible teacher. And he came to Corinth at one time to strengthen the church there. Um, But perhaps some Corinthian believers who had gotten very attached to Apollos may have said something like, I'm a personal follower of the best Bible teacher ever. Can you beat that? Then coming to Cephas, so Cephas for her, for her, um, refers to Simon Peter, one of the original 12 disciples. Perhaps some people in Corinth uh, felt a certain affinity, to, um, certain attachment to, to Cephas. And they might have said something like, I'm a personal follower of a man who preached and saw 3,000 people saved in one sitting. Can you top that? Now, the last group of people here were saying, I am of Christ. And they were exerting some form of um, really pride here also. Now, uh, it sounds spiritual at first, saying, I am of Christ. Perhaps they might have come across as saying, well, I'm not a follower of any one person. I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus himself. But Paul is really telling each of these four groups that they're all doing something wrong. And what this last group is really saying when they're saying, I am of Christ, they're really probably saying something like, well, I don't know about the rest of you, but I am a follower of Jesus Christ. The rest of you are off the mark somewhere. So Paul, to convict the Corinthians of of the wrong direction they're going, he asks several questions. The first question he asks, is Christ divided? Now, of course, the answer is no. Like I said in this epistle, Paul will talk about how all believers are part of the body of Christ. It really makes no sense for a body to be divided. 
Now, as a physical therapist, I sometimes come across people who have been, have body parts divided from them. I come across people who have, have amputated <coughs> limbs or they've lost uh, certain body parts through an, another, through injury. And I tell you, no one in their right mind ever wants to lose a body part. But with the people of Corinth, it's like you had parts of the body of Christ fighting against other body parts. And the result is a very spiritually sick local body of believers. Next, Paul asks, was Paul crucified for you? Now, of course, the answer is no. So why was this even a question? Well, there may have been some people who were taking too much pride in their association with Paul. Of course, Paul had made many sacrifices in ministering to the saints in Corinth. He had done a lot for the church. He was the person responsible for starting the church. But as much as Paul had done, Paul was not their savior. The Lord Jesus was. So the loyalty really should be to the Lord Jesus, not to Paul. And Paul asks, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And of course, um, answer is no. And Paul asks this question too because some people in the church may have been using their relationship with Paul to set themselves up um, as being superior to their brethren. Now we can all agree that Paul was a great man of God. But some people perhaps may have taken pride in the fact that they were baptized by Paul. Because, you know, in a way, it would be kind of cool saying, I was baptized by Paul himself. Who baptized you? In verse 14, Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. And then he adds in verse 16, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I did not know whether I baptized any other. So besides really a small group of people, uh, Paul didn't do much baptizing in Corinth. Really, Paul was not into self-promotion. Now, someone who was really looking to um, perhaps exert a lot of influence in the church or seek to advance their position might have been baptizing people right and left. And they could uh, say with pride that, wow, look at how many people I baptized. But that wasn't Paul. Really, no one could accuse Paul of um, doing this and trying to exert influence over the Corinthians in this way. So Paul's real task given to him by the Lord Jesus, as he states in verse 17, is not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And he was asked to preach the gospel in a certain way. He was asked to preach not with wisdom of words. 
Now, what does this phrase, uh, wisdom of words, mean? Now, of course, in other parts of the Bible, like in Proverbs or the book of James, wisdom is mentioned as a good thing. But uh, those books refer to spiritual wisdom. This phrase is really talking about human wisdom. This wisdom of words is me trying to be clever and intellectual. Now, sometimes we might have the thought that we can win people over to the Lord by being good with our words, being eloquent. Maybe the thoughts has crossed our minds. We think, if only I had the right arguments and words to say, then I could see someone get saved. Or I think, if I just um, have the right words to say, I can intellectually corner someone and checkmate them, and they'll get saved. Often I've thought that at times. But there's a problem with that line of reasoning. Because if I'm just relying on me being good for my words and being eloquent and being clever to see someone get saved, then who's, who's really doing the saving here? If I'm thinking that way, I'm really not relying on the Lord to save someone. I'm relying on my own intellect. And in that effect, in that way, I'm making the cross of Christ of no effect. Because when I'm showing by that approach of sharing the gospel, of relying on myself and my wit, I'm really showing that, well, I don't really think the cross of Christ is enough to save a person. I feel like I have to do something to, to see that person get saved. Now, just looking at the few verses we covered, you know, is there any danger that we can fall into some of the sins that were affecting the Corinthian church? The fact is, pretty easily, and more easily than we might like to admit, we can be guilty of trying to make ourselves out to be superior to other believers based on our association with someone else. Now, we might not actually say something like, I am a Paul, but perhaps it might creep in that we might have a certain amount of pride in perhaps knowing a certain Bible teacher or writer. And rivalries can really easily form within the church. It, might not just, it may not just be being proud of your knowing a certain person, but perhaps you might get a little proud of your ministry or your accomplishments for the Lord in the past. You might start thinking of, your, you may start thinking of yourself as better than your fellow believers. Paul's real plea to the Corinthians in this passage is for them to be united. Now, why is... Unity is so important here. It's actually really, really just stupid when you think about it for believers to be disunited at all. In other epistles, uh, Paul goes into how we're really in a spiritual war, 
of, we're really in spiritual war right now. You know, as a believer, we have plenty of enemies. There's Satan, there's our own sinful flesh, there's a world system. We need everyone here standing as one. It makes no sense for us to be divided. Paul brings up towards the end of this passage that Christ sent him to preach the gospel. He was to share the good news of salvation with the Corinthians who would have died in their sins unless they had heard the gospel. And that's really the responsibility of all of us believers here. To everyone who are, who's in their lives, whether co-workers or classmates or unsafe family or friends, we've been sent into their lives to be able to share the gospel with them. Really, you can think of us believers here and our time on earth as being on a rescue mission. Now, most of the time, whether it's a rescue at sea or a rescue from a burning building or a hospital team trying to revive a person who's just had a heart attack, if you know something, rescue efforts often occur in teams. It's not really just one person. And that's the way it is with believers. When you hear people share their testimonies, when they share about how the Lord brought them to salvation, a lot of times more than one person was involved in leading someone to the Lord. But wouldn't it be sad if people did not end up hearing the gospel because a church was divided? Let's consider for a moment like a real-life rescue team. Let's say the, um, what's called a rapid response team at a hospital. Now, a rapid response team is often made up of a doctor, a couple of nurses, a respiratory therapist, and uh, perhaps a physician assistant. And they typically come to people who are having some kind of critical emergency in the hospital, like a heart attack or a stroke. But, you know, wouldn't it be terrible if the team was having divisions among themselves and the end I'm not saving that person who was dying? And that's really how it would, like, it would be like for us if, as, if we were divided as a church amongst ourselves. We'd be so busy fighting one another that we'd forget about all the unsafe people out there. My wife recently shared with me an example of a team that really works well together. That's really a good example of what a group of people can do when there are no divisions and they're perfectly joined together. Now, I have to freely admit, I am not um, a person who follows sports very much, but there's still, I have to admit, a good, um, some good lessons we can learn from sports teams. I think, um, Pretty much most of us in this room are familiar with who um, the Golden State Warriors are. Just in case you don't know, they are the current reigning champions uh, of the NBA for, for basketball this year, and two years ago too. Now Christina is a really big fan of basketball, specifically the Warriors. So we don't have a TV in our house, but whenever they're playing, 
Christina is glued to her iPad, listening to the web broadcast of how they're doing. And she's in an emotional torment throughout the game if they're not doing well. But um, as you can tell from this year, they've done pretty well most of the time. So on her recommendation, she um, said I should, I should look up some articles as to the secret of the warrior's success. So I did a little reading. And um, it's, one of the things that's um, in, is really interesting about the team, actually, we have, we have to look at a fault of other teams first. A fault of a lot of other basketball teams is that there's often perhaps a star player who will tend to hog the ball. So they may not like to pass the ball, they like to keep it to themselves, they like to make an impressive performance and make a lot of points. And while this star player may do some very impressive things on the court, the overall effect though is the rest of the team ends up suffering. The kind of, this, this kind of team where there's like one star player doesn't often end up making it to the championship. The interesting thing about the Warriors, though, on reading a number of articles, was that even though there are a number of very prominent players, I think everyone knows who Steph Curry is, or perhaps you've heard the name Draymond Green. Even though they're all they're very excellent players, um, these people do not try and hog the ball. They pass the ball plenty of times to one another, and um, they don't let their egos get in the way. There's no one player trying to set themselves up as superior, superior to the rest of their teammates. And the result, as one sports writer put it, is that the team members resemble distinct limbs of a larger organism. They're all really working as one body. Now, I've just shown you a little glimpse of what a sports team is capable of being joined together and without division. And just take a moment to imagine, well, if that's what um, just a team of athletes can do, well, what about a church that is not divided and is perfectly joined together? What, what might that look like? Perhaps, you know, I think is very, well, first thought is a church would be a lot stronger Maybe, we, maybe a church like that would see more people being saved, having more opportunities to share the gospel. Maybe there'd be stronger relationships in that body of Christ. Perhaps among, the, not just in fellowship among the brethren, but also perhaps stronger marriages, stronger relationships between parents and their children. With each believer supporting each other, Perhaps each uh, believer in their individual lives would be stronger, stronger in their walk with the Lord, stronger in their prayer life, having greater victory over sin in their lives. So to sum up from this passage, with all of us being members of the body of Christ, or really being body parts of the body of Christ, we really have to be united. We can't be fighting amongst ourselves. And I really should not be trying to make myself uh, out to be better than any one of my brothers or sisters. 
any division and disunity among believers, it really makes no sense. Because there's a, there's a spiritual war going on out there, and there's souls out there that need to be saved. And if we want to see great things done for the Lord in our church, then we need to be, as Paul pled, we need to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for just the lessons we can learn from the Corinthian church. And we do pray for ourselves as a body, Lord, that we would be just perfectly joined together as you would like, and that you would use us in this way. Lord, we do pray this in Jesus' name.